so excited to keep us moving through this this chapter of First John three. So if you have your Bibles, again, just invite you to open First John three. If you don't have a Bible, um, Jason can get you one. It is important um, that you have this in front of you. Um, just believing that the Spirit of the Lord through His Word speaks to our hearts as we would look upon it, read it, dwell upon it. And so it is important that you have that in front of you. Um, like I said, on Sunday tonight, we're actually going to cover verses 11 through 24. I thought that this was actually going to be a little bit shorter, but as we started to really get into it, it just the depth of this second section of this passage um, was was there. There's depth and there's weight in it for sure. So um, we'll work through it as best we can and um, just depend on the Lord to make sense of it. So let's, let's pray real quick before we get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight for the opportunity to gather in your name. Lord, as brothers and sisters in Christ, just seeking you, Lord, for truth, desiring to come before you, Lord, and just say, you are life, Jesus. You are life. You are our only hope. Everything that we we need is, is found in you. Every desire we have, all satisfaction that we would um, seek, Lord, is, is you and is in you, Lord. And as we just open your word tonight, just pray that you would make sense of it in our hearts, Lord, that we would see it as life-giving, Father, that you would take away or remove um, anything that is not of you, Lord, any, any scheme of the enemy that would try to distort what these scriptures say, Lord, that you would just bind that, only allow us to um, dwell upon what, who you are, what you have for us, what you would have us hear from you tonight. We pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Um, so we'll uh, quickly just want to read through it all just to kind of set the context, and, um, and then we'll, we'll break it down a verse at a time. So beginning in, in verse um, 11, and actually we'll, we'll, we'll jump into verse 10, um, as that's where John really picks this up. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. And that's again what we covered on Sunday. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was the evil one, one who, the evil one, and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know that he laid down his life. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do not and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. 
Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So there's a lot there. There's a lot of passages there. There's a lot of, of weight in those passages. I think we, we recognize. Um, and, and, and we really need to remember, we can't separate these passages from what we talked about on Sunday in those first two verses um, that says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. So in that, in that verse, that sets the context then for where John is going through these verses. These aren't commandments. These aren't to-dos. These aren't like, if you do this, you will have life. This is, you've been given life. You've been saved. You've been shown the love of the Father. The love of the Father has been granted you. This is now the outflow of the love of the Father that you have come to see, that you have... have um, have walked and that you've come to know. This is the outflow of what children of God look like. So we can't separate that. We want to be very clear that the love of the Father in us drives us to these truths. It's the love of the Father that enables us, gives us the desire to walk in these things that are true. And, and what I kind of like about these these, these second, the second half of this book, it's almost as if chapters 1, 2, and the first part then of chapter 3 um, has been about loving God. The, the, the two greatest commandments, love God and love your brother. So we see in these first couple of, chap- first couple of chapters how, we've been, how we will love God, our, our desire to be in fellowship and communion with him, our desire to walk in his commandments, our knowing of Jesus and his advocacy for us when we sin, not if, but when we sin. We know that we will sin, and we, and we know that when that happens, we haven't happened. So this is like our lives um, being shaped by the love of, of the Father and our love for him. And then here we see a shift in this book, and, and John begins to show us then how this love of the Father then impacts how we love the brothers. It's the second part of that um, commandment. And, and remember that the, the child of God the child of children of, of, of God are on a different trajectory. They have a different hope. They have a different satisfaction. Um, they're different from the world. Um, children of God look different. We act different. We live different. Um, and why is this? Again, it's because we have come to know the love of the Father. We've been reborn um, that rebirth, us in him, um, has given us this new nature. Um, that, that work of, of rebirth, being born again, has actually given us the ability to see God, to know God, to commune with God in a way that we couldn't when we were dead um, in our sin and our trespasses. He's, he's brought us to life so that we can see that and know that and repent and, and run to him. Um, and in that, then, we have new desires, we have new lifestyles, we have new pursuits, we have a new love, in a sense, we have an entirely new life. And so that life, then, lived out in relation to loving our brothers is where John is going um, in the second part. So verse 11, for this is the message they have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And remember, in, in the Gospels, Jesus says that... Um, all of the commandments are summed up in two. Love God and love your brother. We see this in John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, 
that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. So don't, so, so in that, so just as, as in our ability to obey, our ability to walk in his commandments, that, that's a work of the Spirit in us. That's the Spirit in us working that out, giving us that ability to, to obey and to follow the commandments and to have desires to seek purity. So again, just stressing that we can't separate that from our love for the brothers. Like, how do we love people? How do we love our brothers? How do we love our sisters? It's through the power of the Spirit. We need the power of the Spirit to walk in His commandments, and we need the power of the Spirit to love our brothers. So that's, that, that's how this is accomplished. So he goes right into that in, in verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So right off the bat, we, we need to know who Cain is. I think we would probably all know of Cain and Abel, the, the, the first two children of Adam and Eve. And we see quickly in Genesis how how fast sin is developing and how fast sin is, is corrupting um, men on the earth. And so we see this, this story of Cain and Abel that John is referring to here in, in Genesis 4, verses 1 through 7, and it, and it says this, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So what do we see right off the bat within this passage? Well, well clearly, we see that God loves herdsmen far more than he loves farmers. So, Sorry, Mark. Did, didn't you get that? Oh, sorry. Okay. No, no. So we see that Abel, Abel brought an offering that was more pleasing to God. And, and why? why? Why does it say that? How, how do we pick that out? Well, most scholars would, would say because it specifically notes that Abel's offering was of the firstborn, meaning Abel was giving his first and best to the Lord. But it doesn't say that about Cain. It doesn't say that, that Cain was bringing his, his firstborn, his, his best. His, right? It doesn't say that. It just says Cain brought to the Lord an offering. But as we read through the passages, we quickly discover that Cain has a wicked heart in response to God's reaction to his offering. It wasn't a heart. Cain didn't have a heart of remorse or a heart that says, man, I, I missed the mark on that one. Okay, Lord. Okay, Lord. I'll, I'll do this over. I'll do better. You know, help me, guide me, teach me. It, it just says he was angry. Right off the bat, we see an angry heart in Cain. And this is more than likely why God had no regard for Cain's offering in the first place. God knew because he saw Cain's heart, and Cain's heart was not to truly love God as Abel was. So we see these two distinctions there. So again, 
kind of this notion that John has been going with. If, if we love God, we're going to desire to walk in his statutes and his commandments to follow him. And, and that is going to be lived out in, in action. It's not just, it's not like the condition of our heart bring, brings forth the action. If the condition of our heart is wicked, we're going to bring forth wicked actions. If the condition of our heart is to love and to follow and to um, pursue Christ, then that's going to um, pour from within our heart outward. Another interesting thing to note before we get back to John here is in verses 6 and 7. And this was really fitting for where John is at in, 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 in 1 John. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. The Lord calls him out on his sin. And then even warns him, the Lord warns him of where he will end up if he keeps walking in that sin. So for us, this is good for us to see because we've got to know and then we've got to recognize that sin always escalates. So like the sin of, of being jealous in Cain, that sin of jealousy of Abel, created him anger. And that anger ended up in murder. So think about times, like as I was thinking about this week and last week dwelling on this passage, like thinking about times where just this little tiny seed of sin that just by me just like not dealing with it, not recognizing it, not, not bringing that, that forth right to the Lord, repenting of it as, as that seed of it is there, ha, like just grows and blossoms and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So sin always escalates. So not dealing with our sin, not repenting when we're seeing it, realizing it, when the Holy Spirit is convicting it of us, not running to Christ at the first revelation of sin in our heart, dabbling with it, so to speak. We're not heeding the warnings of the Holy Spirit in us, like we see in, in chapter 9, or verse 9, chapter 3, that we covered on Sunday. The, the seed of God in us keeps us from practicing. So that's a call for us to turn and to acknowledge and to repent. This doesn't mean that... Notice that God doesn't tell Cain in that passage that he's not going to sin. He's just saying that sin's going to want to rule over you. And you can't allow for that. Be aware of that. Repent of that. When you see it, recognize it. Rule over that sin. Don't allow it to rule over you. So why did Cain murder Abel? Because his heart was not desiring to pursue the father. But rather his heart was desiring to pursue himself. His own desires, his own deeds. And his deeds were evil. And that led him to a jealousy of Abel, which then grew into an escalation of him murdering him. So John is saying, don't be like Cain. Don't harbor that kind of, of sin in your heart. Don't allow that sin to stay in your heart and allow it to rule over you. Don't walk in that sin. Don't be like Cain. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. So just like Cain hated Abel, just like the Pharisees hated Jesus, didn't even recognize him for who he was. Like we too, we covered this on Sunday, we too should not be surprised that the world hates us. We're different from the world. We're children of God. Our trajectory is completely different once we've been reborn. All of our hope, all of our thoughts, our desires are for Jesus and not of this world. Because of him, because he's our greatest treasure, our everything, believers finding our complete satisfaction in Christ, that, that would be our aim, 
We look different from the world. And the world's not going to understand that. The world's not going to accept that. It's almost as if it's like they would be desiring something and they can't seem to find it or have it. And, and, and when I desire something and I can't get it, I just sometimes grow like resentful then. Well, if I can have it, then I'm just going to be resentful. Like the world's going to hate us. They're not going to understand. And we know this is true about the gospel. The gospel um, is one of two things always. It's always one of two things. It's either a sweet aroma or, you know, or it's a stench. And, and for those that we would be professing Christ to and living with and doing life with and sharing the gospel with, they're, they're going to either respond very well to that or they're not. Verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So here's another verse, another verse that draws a very distinct line in the sand about who is and who is not in Christ. Those who love the brothers are in Christ. Those who do not are not in Christ. So the inner desire to love as Christ loves, so like the believer that has this desire as they've known the love of the Father, that breeds in us then a desire to love him back and to love people. So this love comes from, comes from the Father in us and this is a mark of, of, of salvation. This is a mark of salvation. Being able to love the brothers as Christ loves us. We only know love. We only can know true love if we have experienced love from the Father. That, that whole passing out of death and into life by the Father allows us to know the love of the Father. Apart from that, apart from Christ, we have a very incomplete picture of what love is. We have a worldly picture of what love is. So we, we might express love towards our kids or to our spouses, to our family, to our friends. We might express love, but apart from Christ, it's not real love. It's not the love of the Father. So again, it's that, it's that decisive work of God, God in us, that, that love that God has for us to, to rebirth us, to convert our hearts, that actually gives us the ability to truly love like he loves, to love like he loves. It's important to recognize we're not going to do this perfectly. I mean, we know in, in chapter 1 that we're, that we're sinners, that we're still sinners. We, are, we will sin. God's love in us, perfecting us towards that day of his coming, is going to bring forth in us a, a love for brothers that is different um, than the kind of love non-believers would express or feel. So this kind of love, like it, we don't read this commandment to love your brother. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So it's like, okay, well I'm just going to go out and love people so I can abide in in, in Christ, but, that, but that's not what John is saying here. This is something that we can't just decide today that we're going to go do. To love like Christ loved. This is heart level work. This is heart level work that John is talking about. These are signs of, of salvation, and salvation is, is, is being reborn. We're dependent upon the Lord to do this in us. And that 
He does this in us as we abide, as we seek fellowship, as we walk in obedience, as we pursue purity. He does all of this work in us. So John isn't saying, go love people so you know that you are in. He's saying, look how you love your brothers. Look at how you're loving your brothers. That comes from Christ. If you're a believer and you're loving your brothers in, in a way that's different from the look at how you're loving your brothers. Like, you know the love of the Father, and look, look at how you're, like, he's saying, like, look at the fruit in your life. Look at the fruit of the love of the Father in you. He isn't saying, go do this, and you will be in Christ. He's saying, this is fruit of you being in Christ. If you love people, if you love the brothers, this is Jesus in you. And so we would do well to to recognize maybe where we're falling short in this, maybe where this is a challenge for us, maybe where we have a difficult time walking in this. So we look to Jesus to do this work in us, to bring this work out in us. We depend on him. We go to him. We ask for him to do this work in us. Lord, I can't do this without you. need to do this heart-level work in me. And we pursue it. We try. We, we battle against um, not loving. We, we, we go and we try and we give ourselves and at the same time, it's, Lord, do this to me. I'm dependent upon this. If, for this to be real and right and true and of you, to love like you, I need you to do this heart-level work in me. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So again, here's another very clear line in the sand that John writes. I just love how John writes in very just black and white language. It's helpful. I think it's very helpful. If you're a murderer, you do not have eternal life abiding in you. So, is anybody a murderer tonight? Jason, Luker, killed anybody lately? Pretty sure? No? Me? I, I mean, so we think of that and we're like, well, I'm not a murderer, so good, I'm good. Check that box, I'm not a murderer. But, but, don't miss the main point of the text here. Look at what John says before he gets to murder. He says, everyone who hates, everyone who hates, in the eyes of God, like just that hate, that's the seed, that's the sin. That's what leads to murder. That's equivalent to murder. In Matthew 5, verses 21 and 22, it says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus is in anger in our heart. Just the, the fact of that, that sin of anger just dwelling in our heart is equivalent to the acts of it on our hands. So I may not have murdered anybody, literally, but just the fact that I'm hating and I'm filled with anger towards my brother, I might as well have just committed the deed. So Christ is really getting at the heart. John is, is pulling us back to the heart level difference between a child of God and a non-child of God. It's at the heart level. We can't be hating in our heart. Maybe we're, maybe we're looking like we're loving our brothers on the outside, but if we're hating in our heart, we're still not abiding in Christ. So verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. I love how John actually uses wording here that says, he did this, we ought to do that. He did this, we ought to do that. If you're in Christ, if you know the love of the Father, if you know this love, 
you will love your brother. Again, this isn't a call to perfection. This isn't saying that you will do this perfectly. But we, we strive for obedience and we rest in grace. We don't just rest in grace. It's just not the end all be all. We strive for obedience and we rest in grace, knowing that grace has us. But again, our, our pursuit is purity, righteousness, loving the brother. We seek those before we would seek forgiveness. Like Those are our go-to. And we know when we mess up, when we don't do it perfectly, when we can't live that out, when we can't accomplish that, we have the advocate. Christ is there. We rest in his grace. We're covered by grace. It's that covering of grace that gives us the ability to, to live this out in confidence, knowing that when we fail, he's going to pick us back up and keep us moving forward. But we, but we, we, we do have to keep moving forward. We can't just lay in grace. Grace transforms our heart. It enables us to walk in these commandments. I think as I've just been studying this week, it's been, it's been, there's been heart level conviction here. John is writing this so that we would have assurance so that we would know. This isn't because I did this for you, now you will do this for them. It's a, it's a condition of the heart. This is real belief. And I've struggled with that this week. Like, where is my heart in relation to real belief? I think it's good when the Spirit convicts us and says, look at, look at Jeremy, you're falling down over here. Are you really believing what you're reading? Are you really believing what you're professing? Are you walking in this? Get your feet going. Get moving. Don't, don't rest here in the mud. Keep moving forward. Repent where repentance is needed and move forward. That moving forward is the actions of our salvation. So this, this verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. This is also, this is also a call. The application of this verse is a call to selfless living. Selfless service. This is a call for, for me to go to bed every night just exhausted. For you to go to bed every night just exhausted because your lives reflect selfless service to all that are around us. Selfless desire to lay down our lives for the brothers. Do we love people that much? I mean, think about it. Do we really love people that much that we would just go to bed exhausted every night just because we're just laying our lives down for the brothers? I, I, this one's been hard for me. I have wrestled big time with this. Just full transparency here. This is probably one of the biggest areas that I struggle with day in and day out. Every day. Just in, in, in regards to loving my wife and loving my children. My day often starts at, at 5 a.m. And from 5 a.m. until 5 p.m., I have got a task list and I have got to get stuff done. Just between getting out of the house to getting to work and just go, 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 go. And the last thing, the only thing, rather, I want to do when I get home is fall onto the couch and just say, leave me alone. Just leave me alone. I need a minute here. Actually, I need a couple hours here. Just leave me alone. I need, just leave me alone. There, there are days when I get home at 5 o'clock and it's like, I've got nothing left to give. There's nothing left in my day. I am spent. I am wore out. I'm talked out. Everybody at work wanted to talk. I'm talked out today. My fingers are tired from typing. 
my legs are tired from walking around the couch. Like, I'm just, I'm tired. Like, just leave me. I got up at five. I'm tired. I got nothing left to give. But is that what Christ is calling me to do? No. That's not what Christ is calling me to do. Love my wife. Love my children. He's saying, come right in, Jeremy. Get out of your truck and walk right into your house. And I want you to give selflessly for another five or six hours. That's overwhelming. These passages, just like this, when, when we take these passages and put them within the very context of our daily life, they really bring home the truth of the word that we cannot do this on our own. We're not walking this. We are not running this race in our own strength. We can't. Quickly, every day that I would try to run this in my own strength, I'm failing by the time I get home. We're dependent upon the strength, the literal strength of the Holy Spirit in us to live this out, to live what John is describing as a believer. We're dependent on him. Every second of it, we are dependent upon him. When we try to do this in our flesh, when we try to do this in our own strength, I know for me, it ends up bad. I, I end up in two different places. I either end up exploding on my wife, on my kids, because I've just run out of steam in, a, in my own strength, or, or, I'm driven to do it for other reasons. I'm driven to come in and, and to give in what might appear to be a selfless manner, but really, it's a selfish manner. As in, man, if I go in there and play with the kids tonight, I'll be free on Saturday to go do what I want to do. Or if I go in and love my wife tonight like this, then, then she'll be okay when I say I'm... I'm going camping to elk camp this next week you know if so we we can get one of two places in our own strength either you just explode and you just come to the end of your rope with it or we start to manipulate our own brain it's like well i don't if if i love her this way if i do that if i do that i can manipulate my work my way around into into what i really want both of those are selfish those are not selfless selfless says here it is lord i need you and i'm just gonna i'm just gonna love you and i'm gonna love them and I don't care. That's my, my whole desire, my whole satisfaction, all my joy is in you, and therefore all my joy and my satisfaction will be found in just, just doing this, just loving them. Selfless. No intention for personal gain. And there's no option to do it but with the strength of the Spirit. So when we say that, strength of the Spirit, what are we talking about? Just like Sunday, we're positioning ourselves to be filled with the Spirit every single day. And how do we position ourselves to do that? Abiding, basically, is what we're talking about. Praying, reading, dwelling upon the love of the Father. These are the things that we need to be doing in order to live out what John is calling us. This is what keeps us turning from sin towards Jesus, what keeps us selflessly loving our brothers. It's, it's, it's this biting there is a reason, again, that John mentions abiding 20 different times in this book. Abiding is the key. And as we strive for Christ, he grows this fruit that John is talking about in us. He does that. So verse 17, got to keep moving. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Here's another very just direct truth, just direct exhortation. 
It's, it's not, loving our brother isn't just about giving our time, isn't just about giving ourselves, but it's also about giving our possessions, John is talking about. And if we think about this, it's silly. Like, what do we have that the Lord has not provided us? What do we have? Look around your house. What do we have that isn't there because the Lord hasn't provided the means for that to be there? Everything that we have, all the possessions that we have, have been given to us or granted to us by the Lord. And this is the heart of Christ, that he laid down his life for us. He laid down his life for us. And yet we sometimes or often scoff at the idea not only about laying down our life, but to lay down our possessions or to give our possessions or resources to the brother. Christ laid down his life. John's just saying, give up some of your possessions, dude. Like Christ gave his life. But I work so hard to get this. This, this. Or this is my really nice insert, whatever it is that you just, you have at home that you just can't even imagine loaning out or giving away. Christ gave his life. And we scoff at giving up our material possessions to a brother in need. That's a hard one. <laughs> like, I know I, there, I, I could struggle with that one. I could struggle with that one. Verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So this is where John is going with all of these verses. A heart transformed by Christ, having God's seed in us, being grafted into Christ himself, doesn't just end up in words. We can say all that we want. We have a very rich vocabulary that we can come up with all these cute little words that we want to say. We love, we cherish Jesus, we follow Jesus, we do all this. We love people. I love my spouse, I love my kids, I love our friends, we love our family. We can say all that we want to say. But it's the actions that prove whether what we say is actually what we believe. Belief invokes action. James speaks about this when he's talking about a faith without works being a dead faith. This is what he's talking about. If we, are, if we believe we are children of God, if we love Jesus, the very actions of our lives will show it. I was thinking about this this week. If I had to go an entire day without saying any words, without using any vocabulary whatsoever, would the people around me feel and know that I love them? Would the people around me know that I love Jesus? Would the people around me know that I was a child of God by my actions alone? No words, just actions. What about the guy that I speed past on a double yellow because I'm trying to get to work? Would he know that I'm a child of God? Probably not. Probably not. If we couldn't use any words, would people know by our actions alone? The truth of our salvation will be lived out in action. It's what God does in us. Being reborn changes us. And that change is evident in who we become in our words and deeds. So verses 19 through 21. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. 
and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. I love these verses. I love these verses because these verses are kind of tying in what John is talking about in verse 9 when he's talking about the seed of God being in us. These verses are speaking to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we can be assured that if we are in Christ, if Christ abides in our hearts, as we abide in him, the Holy Spirit will convict us when we are not walking, not living, not abiding, not pursuing truth. We have that assurance as believers. God promises to give us, to have the Holy Spirit indwell us as we are born again. We have that. That's the seed of God in us, the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is going to be continually guiding us towards truth. The person that's not been reborn, the person that doesn't believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, the person, the person without the Holy Spirit of God in them is not going to be guided towards truth. They don't have that. We do. As children of God, we do. This is another way that we are different. This is God's seed in us. And this is good news for us. God's seed in us will not allow us to willfully practice, walk in, pursue lawlessness. Now that's a hard one to really get your head around because there's people probably in our lives or maybe ourselves, our own testimonies would be like, man, I, I thought I was saved, but then I went and did this and lived this life and, and lived here. And man, John doesn't put timetables on this stuff. We don't know, but we do trust and believe that if somebody is a believer, the Holy Spirit in them will bring them to truth, will bring them away from sin and back to Jesus will not allow them to willfully live in sin. God's seed in us separates us from our sin. It convicts us of our sin. And our response to that, our response to the Holy Spirit is repentance. It's, it's a turning from going that way back towards Christ. Repentance is a turning away and going back towards Christ, going the other direction. Sin and Christ do not dwell together. So we know that as believers, we are all in sin. We know that we, that we will never be um, perfect this side of heaven. But as believers, we should not be okay with it. And as believers, we will battle sin. We'll battle against it. Difference between battling sin and just living in sin. And this isn't saying that we're going to win the day, that we're going to win every day. This isn't saying that. It's not saying that we're going to win the day. But it is saying we're going to win the war. It's saying we're going to win the war. Christ in us, God's seed in us, he will complete the work he started in us. God is greater than our sinful hearts. So when we're abiding, when we're following, when we're pursuing him, our hearts will know it. We will know it. We will feel and know and recognize him in us as our hearts will be free from the condemnation of lawlessness as we walk towards righteousness. So the Lord will affirm in us, you're going right, you're going in the right direction. Your heart won't be condemned. But the opposite then in this passage, the opposite then is also true. If we pursue sin and lawlessness, we also will know it. We also will know it. And what's our response? 
that moment that we, that we see that, that sin, that moment we recognize, the moment it's been made known to us. Man, repent, repent, repent. Turn back towards Christ. Don't be like Cain. Don't let it fester. Don't let it grow. Don't walk in that sin and allow it to overcome you to the point that you, you fall into murdering your brother. Repent. So we're either moving towards Christ or we're perishing. We're either moving towards Christ or we're sitting in sin. We don't want to sit in sin. We've got to keep our feet moving towards Christ, abiding. I just wonder when we talk about that sin and loving our brother and all that, like what does the Lord just, where does he have his finger on you right now tonight? What is that one area in your life tonight that you're just continuing to battle with? And maybe truthfully enjoying, maybe truthfully willfully allowing to continue, maybe, maybe truthfully dabbling in. What's that one thing? It's probably more than one for most of us, but, but what's that one thing in your heart that the Spirit would be convicting you of tonight? What sin is overcoming you tonight? God told Cain, don't let it destroy you. Don't do that. God said to Cain, don't let it destroy you. Are we willfully allowing it to destroy us? Where is our heart towards the love of the Father tonight? Verse 22, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Awesome. I love verses like this. So does this mean that if I follow Jesus... That he grants me everything that I want? Is that what this is saying? Does this mean that when I start praying for a million bucks, I'm going to get a million bucks in the mail tomorrow? Or, or is this saying if, like, if, if God doesn't answer my prayers that he's not pleased with me? Is that what this is saying? This is the root of prosperity gospel preachers. Like, these are the types of passages that prosperity gospel preachers twist and distort and take completely out of context. With Christ as our greatest treasure, as we are abiding in him, as we are walking in according to his statutes and his commandments, it seems that it would make sense then that our very hearts, our very wants, our very desires, the things that we would pray to God for would be in alignment with his wants and desires. When we're not abiding, when we're not walking, when we're not pursuing, we want what we want. We can't even know the will of the Father at that point. But as we're abiding, as we're pursuing, as we're, 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 we're chasing him, as we're heeding the seed in us, walking in the Spirit, our wants, our desires, our affections become in alignment with his. So it's almost like if, if we only want and desire him and what he wants, then our very prayers are actually just a reflection of his wants and desires. So as we follow him and desire to please him, we should expect that our prayers will be answered. We can expect that because we are walking according to what he is calling us to do. So what we pray for, as it aligns with his will, we receive because it aligns with his will. He doesn't give us the things that are not his will. And we don't want the things that he doesn't want us to have. We don't want to go the places he doesn't want us to go. As we're pursuing him, 
And we, just, and we often gather and we pray, like, your will be done, not mine. Your will be done, not mine. We pray that out. And yet he calls us to pray for the things that our hearts desire, like in accordance with his word, in accordance with his will. And we see him answer prayers because of that. But we, we can't turn this around. We can't turn this around as if to say, because we do his commandments, and because we please him, he answers our prayers. As, as in, as in, he owes us. As in he owes us, right? So there's a difference. As we follow him, he owes us answers to our prayers. That's not what this is saying. That would be a performance-based system. So we pray to him as our hearts are in alignment with him, as we're seeking, as we're abiding. We're praying to him. And we see him answer our prayers. But it's almost like we are actually just praying back to him, his will and his desires. It's just a beautiful picture of that, of our fellowship, of our communion with him. Like Our hearts are almost like beating as one with him. Our desires are what his desires are. It's the love of the Father that brings that out in us. Our prayers become a very reflection. Our prayers become a very reflection of our belief in him in our lives. So just closing with these last two verses. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. By the spirit whom he has given us. What a sweet way for John to end this chapter. Calling us to believe upon the name of Jesus Christ as Lord. To recognize that our belief in him, our belief in him will cause us to walk in his commandments and love one another. And that the Holy Spirit of God, God's seed, the helper, will do this in us and through us. What do we do? We abide. We pursue. We follow. We strive towards him. So as he's doing that, and we're doing that, we will know that we are in him. We will feel him. We will recognize him. We will have communion and fellowship and relationship with him as the spirit is in us. As we see ourselves following his commandments, seeking purity and loving our brothers. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, again, Father, just weighty, weighty truths in this book of First of John as we continue to move through, Lord, as a body. Um, Blaine in, in one, Rory in two, just finishing chapter three. Lord, just weighty, weighty things and perhaps burdensome, burdensome, maybe a feeling of burden, Lord, and and just recognizing, Father, that these are not to be burdensome, that these are life-giving, that these are your very words, these are your very truths, Lord. These are your promises, Lord, that as we strive, as we believe upon you and, and, and strive to abide in you, Lord, that these promises of who you are and what you do in our lives are true. And, and they will, they will flow, Lord, what you do in the hearts of, 
of your children is amazing, amazing things. Things that we cannot do on our own, Lord. And so we pray that you would continue the work that you've started in us, that you would complete the work that you've started in us, Lord, as we, as we find you as our every treasure, as we find you as our every hope, as all of our satisfaction is, is, is you, Jesus, that, these, that you would work in our heart the belief to walk in these promises, to grab a hold of you, to cling to you, Jesus, seeing you as our only hope. Lord, when we sin, we need you. When we pursue righteousness, we need you. We desire to love our brothers. We need you. Lord, we need you for all of it. Do that work in us, Lord. Don't let us stop to play in the mud. Don't let us grow cold to the Spirit. Keep our feet moving towards you. Let us run to you, Jesus, tonight and every day. We're dependent upon you, Jesus, to do this work in us, Father. Amen.